We're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 16 today. We're s- continuing on our series in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 10. <clears throat> this is God's word. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance uh, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is God's word. All right, let's, um, <clears throat> uh, let's pray before we get started. Join me in prayer. Uh, God, we thank you um, just for your word, and we thank you that oftentimes your word is timely, and it reminds us that uh, you are a God who speaks to us, um, that you aren't one who is, um, I guess, distant and unengaged, but uh, you are engaged uh, with your people, with your creation at all times. And so even in this moment, though it may be, seem small uh, compared to everything else that is happening uh, in the world, uh, you are still here in this moment and speaking to us through your word. So we pray that your spirit would uh, give us conviction of heart and help us to, uh, to see you in the beauty of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are going through the book of Acts. And <clears throat> the book of Acts, of course, focuses on the Holy Spirit, so the work of the Holy Spirit, as well as the early church. And, you know, I've gone through the book of Acts like a few times in my life, and um, if I were to guess, like, what book have I read most frequently, maybe in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, with other people, I don't mean individually, but I mean, like, with other people, I, I think it's probably the book of Acts, because I remember reading Acts together as a small group, and we did, like, devotions through the book of Acts. Uh, I remember we read it in a season of our church, and uh, I, also, I remember that even some of us who went on the prayer march overseas Uh, we also read through the book of Acts. And yet, uh, this book, this time around, has probably spoken to me most powerfully than any other time that I've gone through it. And I think, like, with all the challenges and changes and conflicts that we read about in the early church, uh, one of the things that is encouraging is you still see the gospel continue to expand, and you still see God reaching people because of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what is supposed to ground uh, the mission of the church. And not much has really changed today. Churches still have its, uh, has its challenges, and churches still has, have its conflicts. And still, God uses the church to display his manifold wisdom and reconcile 
God to man through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that sense, there's like a timelessness to uh, a lot of the dynamics that we see in the book of Acts. We just finished a section uh, of chapter 15 where we saw some of the early conflicts that occurred in the church. So there is this theological controversy around the issue of circumcision between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. There's also conflict between Paul and Barnabas about whether to take Mark with them on their missionary journey. And as a result, they end up going their separate ways because of their disagreement. And now the narrative continues to follow Paul, who is about to embark on this second missionary journey. This is a chapter, Acts chapter 16, that I guess is somewhat well-known, and I think preachers like to preach from Acts chapter 16 because this chapter contains a lot of like, amazing, powerful conversion stories. And people find uh, powerful conversion stories inspiring and encouraging. And we're going to look at those stories next week uh, in greater depth. But uh, what I wanted to make sure is we didn't miss the thing that happened before all of those powerful conversion stories take place. Uh, I want to make sure that we don't miss, uh, I guess, the precursor to all of that work being done. And so there's two things that I want to highlight here. Uh, The first thing is... uh, God gives Timothy to Paul. The second thing I want to highlight here is the Spirit is the one who closes doors and opens doors, leading them to go west. And I think by the end of this, I think what we're going to see is that God is the one who ultimately is in control. He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who opens doors and closes doors, and he is the one who ultimately sends the right people or the right person not the perfect person, right? Not the perfectly sanctified person, but for his purposes, the right person. First, God gives Timothy to Paul. So Paul, he goes to Lystra, he meets a young man, and this young man's name is Timothy. And the point at which Paul meets Timothy, I think is very interesting because Timothy was the the son of a mixed marriage. His mother was a Jewish believer and his father was a Greek. And we don't get that many explicit details here, but I think the text allows us to make uh, a couple of implications. So for instance, uh, it's likely that Timothy's father probably was not a believer. Uh, The text is explicit that his mother was a believer, and so uh, you would think that if his father was also a believer, that would have been pointed out and mentioned. Uh, In 2 Timothy, one of the letters that Paul writes to, to Timothy, Paul says that the faith that Timothy had was passed down from Uh, his grandmother Lois, and then his mother Eunice. And uh, he doesn't say it was passed down from mother and father. So uh, just by implication, it seems that Timothy comes from a family where, you know, his mother was the believer and his father wasn't, but his mother was a Jewish person and his father was a Greek. We also know that Timothy was a young man uh, from one of the letters that Paul writes to Timothy. And he exhorts him. He says, don't let anybody despise you just because you're young, right? Just because of your youth. And finally, we know that Timothy wasn't circumcised as an infant. Uh, What that tells us, because circumcision would have been so important for a Jewish person, uh, that tells us that his father probably refused to allow Timothy to get circumcised because Timothy's mother raised him in the Hebrew scripture since he was a child. And by implication, we have to assume that the only reason Timothy wouldn't have been circumcised is because his father refused to allow it. And all of this is to say that there are some obstacles in Timothy's life that would have made it difficult for him to be uh, a minister of the gospel, especially to Jewish people. But I think as is always the pattern with God, 
what he does is he takes perceived weaknesses of a person uh, and he reveals his sovereignty and his strength through it. It is in the life of Timothy where there is an opportunity to display love in the middle of this sharp disagreement over circumcision between Jews and Gentiles. Timothy gets circumcised. And uh, I don't want to gloss over that point that he gets circumcised. Uh, I don't know any adult male um, who would want to undergo circumcision because it's a very painful process. You probably, uh, you know, you probably opt to get it done when you're an infant where you don't remember it, but Timothy is like this, you know, grown male, and he actually uh, decides, or Paul says, you should get circumcised, and he actually does it, which is, you know, pretty amazing. Uh, The reason why Paul says to get circumcised, we find in verse 3, it says, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And so, in other words, the reason why Timothy gets circumcised is to keep this door open to the Jewish people to be able to hear the good news of Jesus. He didn't want the issue of circumcision to be this unnecessary obstacle that stood in the way that would cause unnecessary scandal. And to be clear, Paul didn't ask that of everybody. So there's somebody named Titus. Titus was a Gentile, and Paul is very adamant about Titus not getting circumcised. Um, And the reason why is because It's a matter of protecting the core of the gospel. He didn't want people to misunderstand the requirements of what it means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus. It didn't mean that you believe and you put your faith in Jesus plus you get circumcised. So because he didn't want that confusion, he says, Titus, don't get circumcised. But for Timothy, he says, get circumcised. Why? It's a matter of being able to serve the Jewish population. Now, Timothy did something that he didn't really have to do. But his willingness to do it allowed him to display love for the Jewish people. And I think that's one of the differences between grace and law. If you do something because you have to do it, then you don't necessarily get the opportunity to display love. But if you do something that you are not required to do, it gives you an opportunity to express love in profound ways. Law is always easier, but grace in the end has greater power. Uh, I know today is Mother's Day, so for the mothers, happy Mother's Day. What if the mothers said to their children, uh, Child, today's Mother's Day. You need to make me breakfast. You need to go get me some flowers. And you need to write me a card. And in this card, this is what you have to write. I am so thankful that you are my mother. There is no greater mother in the world than you. Right, And if you don't do this, child, then you will lose your, uh, your TV privileges or your watching privileges. Okay, <clears throat> That's law. So the child's going to be like, okay, I have to do it. I've been commanded to do it. And they do that. And uh, I don't know. Are you going to be touched as mothers to say like, oh, thank you for doing what I told you to do and I commanded you to do? Uh, probably not, right? It has like a different uh, feel. But rather, what if like uh, the child just did it out of their own volition. They didn't have to do it, but they're like, man, I want to communicate to my mother that um, she is loved, so I'm going to make breakfast. Nobody told me to make breakfast. I'm going to go get some flowers. Nobody told me to do that, and I'm going to write a card. Nobody told me to do that. I don't have to do it, but I want to do it. What's the difference? Well, it displays love in a more powerful way, right? That's kind of what Timothy does here, and as I was thinking about Timothy, you know, he is uniquely able to make that kind of gesture of love towards the Jewish people. 
If you think about it, if he was not the child of a mixed marriage, and maybe if both of his parents were Jewish, then he probably would have already been circumcised. Or if both of his parents were Greek and uh, Gentile, then Paul probably would have told him, don't get circumcised like he did with Titus. But the fact that Timothy comes from a Jewish mother and a Greek father and wasn't circumcised gives him this unique opportunity to say, hey, I don't have to get circumcised because the gospel doesn't require me to get circumcised, but I'm going to do it anyway so that I don't offer a stumbling block to the Jewish people, right? And in that way, in his life, in that action, he displays love. One of the commentaries that I, was, uh, that I read The author writes a lot about what he calls like the in-between existence. So uh, anybody that might be from uh, a mixed marriage uh, or if you have friends that come from a mixed marriage where like maybe uh, both parents come from different cultures or different racial identities or or whatever, uh, sometimes there's a a struggle of identity with the child. And it's not as though Timothy would have thought, well, I'm 50% Jewish because of my mom and I'm 50% Greek because of my dad. What typically ends up happening is people feel like they're both, right? He would probably feel like he's both Jewish and Greek at the same time, and yet also feel like he's neither fully Jewish and neither fully Greek at the same time. It's kind of like this like liminal third way. Uh, I don't fit into either category. I don't belong to either culture completely, but I can still identify with both cultures. Some people say, uh, you know, like uh, second-generation immigrants are oftentimes like that. Uh, if you're a second-generation uh, Asian-American, Korean-American, Chinese-American, uh, you might feel like, uh, <clears throat> you know, yeah, I, there's a part of me that identifies with being like the Asian part of me, but growing up here, I also identify as a, the American side of me, but then there's still a sense in which I feel like an outsider to like both cultures, right? So that's a little bit what Timothy probably feels, and uh, I don't want to over-psychologize or like import modern cultural categories onto Timothy, but I think it would be safe to say that Timothy probably faced some challenges and difficulties in his life as a result. And so this commentator writes, he says, the power of in-between existence, Christian existence, is love without contradiction, and such love is always possible. It is possible for Timothy to love the Gentiles of his father and the Jews of his mother and with both and through both and in both to perform his commitment to Jesus. And if you think about somebody like Timothy, coming into contact with somebody like Paul, the timing is pretty incredible, right? Right after this controversy over circumcision in which Paul is the one who's uh, arguing pretty strongly against the position where people say, no, followers of Jesus need to be circumcised, right? Paul is arguing against that pretty strongly. God all of a sudden sends Timothy to Paul. Not only would Timothy prove to be this solid partner in the ministry of the gospel, but Timothy would be actually be Paul's, uh, one of Paul's closest companions. You scan all the letters that Paul writes, I think in like nine or ten of them, uh, Timothy is mentioned as being with him. When Paul writes 2 Timothy, which was his final letter that he wrote from prison, uh, Paul knows he's about to probably die. Uh, He writes, you know, everybody deserted me except for Luke and except for you, Timothy. And Timothy remains such a close companion that Paul, while in prison, (coughs) says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, can you bring me uh, my cloak? Can you bring me my books? Can you bring me my parchments? Everybody else has deserted me, but uh, you are my spiritual son in the faith. And Of course, they maintained that close commitment. So Timothy was a great gift to Paul, but uh, Timothy comes at a time where Paul lost Barnabas because of that sharp disagreement. 
God sends the right people uh, at the right time. The second thing I want to highlight here is the leading of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 6, we are told that they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Then it says they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Paul had plans to go in a certain direction, and the Spirit closed those doors. I don't know how the Spirit closed those doors. We don't get those details, but we know Paul had these plans, and these plans ultimately got frustrated because God wanted them to go west, not east. This is going to sound like a cliché, but I'm going to say it anyway. God closes doors so that we can walk through the doors that he's, he opens. The closing of those doors can be very frustrating, can be very painful, because at, in the time we only see the doors that are closed. The reason it's frustrating is because it also reminds us that uh, the plans that we have are not ultimately the plans that always come to fruition. And I think that's why it, this it kind of becomes a cliche because like when people are going through down times where people feel discouraged, like that's something you might say, especially within like a Christian setting to make somebody feel better, right? It's like, oh, this is just a closed door. That means God is opening another door. And uh, I, I guess like when people say it so many times, it's like, oh, it's just to make me feel better. But uh, I'm not saying it as a cliche. I'm not saying it so that we feel better about closed doors. But at the end of the day, it's because it's true. God is sovereign. He executes his plans uh, even when it comes at the expense of our own plans. You know, uh, my wife and I, we were like, I don't know, spending a little bit of time, um, I guess just kind of like reflecting with like all the changes that are happening. And, um, you know, me in particular, I was like just kind of reflecting on uh, how I ended up here. And I don't know, I think maybe most of you know this. Maybe some of you don't know this, but before I came to New York, I was part of a church in New Jersey. Uh, the same pastor that planted this church had planted this church in New Jersey. And <clears throat> what happened with that church is we ended up deciding to merge with another church. Uh, the merger started off okay. Everyone did their best to make it work. But then frustration started to arise. There were some relational difficulties that arose uh, with the, the new pastor that was there and some of the congregants. Eventually, people got frustrated and they started to leave until the church dwindled down to like four or five of us. So I was there until the end where four or five of us um, were in a worship service. Uh, now, when that happened, that really messed up <laughs> the, my plans and uh, my uh, future wife's plans. So we were not married yet. We were engaged, and the plan was like, hey, we're going to serve this church we're going to move to New Jersey. My wife's going to try to find a teaching job in New Jersey. But that was also the context of the financial crisis. And because of the financial crisis, uh, you know, budgets were like frozen. And so public schools weren't hiring, which is how ultimately she ended up at a teaching at a private school. And I remember that time. That was not an easy time for us because our plans were not working out. And it seems like uh, the things that we thought we were going to do, like all of those doors just kind of uh, were closing right? I, I'm still surprised that um, uh, Jen continued to marry me because um, during our engagement, we both had no employment or <laughs> income <laughs> and uh, no, no prospect for the future. And uh, I'm even more surprised that her parents 
still let me marry her. Um, but it happened, right? Very difficult times. Now, those doors closed, um, but in retrospect, I look at it, it opened other doors, uh, specifically to New York. And I was able to start serving this church. And in the first couple of years, um, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't able to get a livable wage, so I had to find a full-time job. And I was thinking, uh, after seminary, I don't really have any marketable skills, and everybody's getting laid off in this financial crisis. And uh, I just kept hearing story after story about, like, these empty floors and empty office buildings and, like, people getting laid off. And it's like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to find a job in this kind of environment? But I, I ended up finding a job, and God opened that door as well. And then my wife ended up finding a job as well. And I was able to do uh, ministry and work full-time at a job for, like, maybe, like, I think the first three years in which I served at this church. And that gave me a taste of what doing ministry bivocationally would be like. I think that probably planted a seed in me in terms of how I feel to call, call to do ministry in the future. And when we came to New York, <clears throat> what I remember thinking uh, in the midst of like all the uncertainty and like doors closing, coming to New York, uh, I think Jen and I both felt this. It's like, wow, God is like really opening a lot of doors for us, right? But in order for those, those doors to open, <clears throat> right, we had to go through that period of like the painful doors closing and, and our, our plans and what we intended to do not working out. Now, I don't mean to say like open doors necessarily mean will lead to like better earthly circumstances, right? Because it doesn't necessarily always mean that. God could very well have opened doors to persecution or to, to suffering or to poverty, but still I would trust that God's reason for opening that door serves the same purpose as it did for Paul and his companions, after God closes the door to Asia, Paul and his companions, uh, they don't go east towards Asia, they go west towards Europe. And then in verse 9, Paul has this vision. It says, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then we're told that when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The reason God closed the door to Asia, presumably, is because God ultimately wanted them to go preach the gospel in Macedonia. I wish, you know, I wish all of our personal sense of calls would be as clear as it was for Paul and we would all get this vision of a man in Macedonia, but that doesn't negate the fact that in God's time, he does call his people to do something. There's a place in Ephesians 3 where Paul says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I think that's what happens. God calls us to do something that he prepared beforehand, and that's ultimately when he produces fruit in it. Now, this goes against like the spirit of uh, the age. It goes against the, the, the ethos that we hear today where people say things like, you know, I, I want to be in control of my own destiny. I want to just make things happen. I, wanna, I believe in like manifesting something to fruition, right? It's a very entrepreneurial mindset, uh, probably a very American mindset, which actually is beneficial to some people. And I think it's beneficial if you want to start a company or if you want to start a business. But I don't think it's necessarily the, the kind of mindset that we should have when it comes to our call or to, to the work of mission. When it comes to mission, the best approach, I think, is just to be open, 
to the Holy Spirit's leading and to have a submissive heart and to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. And it is to see doors that are closed as God's redirection of us and to submissively and courageously walk through those doors that are ultimately opened for us. This, this is what I want you to remember when I preach next week about like all these amazing testimonies about Lydia and about the Philippian jailer and about this, uh, this uh, young slave girl who's like possessed by a demon, right? We have all these amazing testimonies and power of the gospel, but uh, those testimonies wouldn't come to fruition had God not redirected Paul away from going east, now going west. And it's very easy to like see those stories and be like, oh, wow, these apostles or Paul was like this amazing minister because uh, of the, the things that he did. And uh, we think there's something special about Paul. I think similarly, when we see like churches grow and um, we say, oh, there must be something amazing about whoever's leading that church. And that's why we have like celebrity and pastors, um, which I think is kind of a problem. But that would be a mistake. That's only looking at those things without Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 10. Uh, This passage serves as the important context for the work that the Spirit would do in changing hearts and changing lives. It's the work of the Spirit and the faithful men and women who are simply doing the work that God prepared them to do beforehand. And that's why there's so much fruit. You know, we, uh, we just looked at Timothy and we just looked at Paul. And more than Timothy or Paul, I think the one who did these things perfectly is Jesus himself. You think about it, in a sense, mm, Jesus is like Timothy in the sense that he is the product of, I guess you could call it like a mixed lineage, right? I don't, I don't know what other phrase to use. As we said in the Apostles' Creed, he's conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, right? That's not exactly a mixed marriage, but, um, right, born of uh, human and born of, born of uh, uh, conceived by, by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of mystery there if you're thinking about the details of that. Uh, you could call that mixed, right? Jesus himself, fully God, fully human. Therefore, he ends up being the perfect person to do what he could uniquely do. He could simultaneously sympathize with our weakness while filling us with great awe as we behold his glory. He can serve as a mediator between humanity and the divine by being the sacrificial lamb who could simultaneously satisfy God's just requirements for the atonement of sin. Jesus is perfectly positioned to do these things. Jesus also demonstrated perfect submission to the Father's plan. You could say Jesus' own plan or desire was thwarted. You remember when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the Father's answer is no, right? Jesus, you have to drink from this cup of wrath. You have to go to the cross and you have to die because this is my will for you. That door to let this cup pass was closed and for Jesus, the door to the cross was opened. And in opening that door, God brings salvation and redemption to this world that needs it so desperately. Our sin is forgiven. Our guilt is gone. Our shame is covered. 
Death is defeated. Satan is vanquished. Light has entered into this world. Darkness is fading away. Hope is here. Joy is given. Love is displayed. And ultimately, glory is given to God. Worship is made to God. We join with the heavens in everlasting praise. You know, in one sense, um, you know, Timothy and Paul, I think, are very admirable men. But in another sense, they're simply imitating Jesus and what he did. And Jesus sets the pattern. And Jesus um, initiates the pattern. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit not only to uh, recapitulate that pattern, but to empower that pattern for the growth of his gospel, um, for the bringing of his kingdom, for the salvation of all nations. Let's pray. Uh, God, we, uh, we know uh, you are overall and in all, and we know you're sovereign, and we know that uh, your wisdom is infinite. We know your love is steadfast. We know that your grace truly does overflow. And yet, when our plans are thwarted, when uh, doors uh, seem to close, uh, we tend to fixate on the fact that a door has closed to something that we desire or long for. Uh, we seem to um, we seem to forget that you are always there in control, that your plans are better than our plans. We seem to forget that you are the one that ultimately opens the doors that you want us to walk through. So God, I pray that you would help us to uh, trust in your sovereign will. Trust in the things that uh, you are doing and trust in the things that even are beyond our sight. Help us to have hearts that are uh, submissive, but also courageous, and to be sensitive to, to the Spirit. And perhaps just like Paul, as you gave a vision to Paul that he should go to Macedonia, I pray that you would also give us a sense of vision uh, as to where we ought to go to minister to your people. And that you would prepare those works for us beforehand and we would see much fruit born from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.